Welcome, everybody, to the Ultra Human Podcast, where endurance athlete and personal development coach Brooke Ramsey interviews ordinary people who do extraordinary things. You'll hear from doers, athletes, and warriors as we unearth the mindset and spirit behind people who push themselves to their limits and beyond. Hey, it's Brooke Ramsey, and this is the part of the podcast where I tell you why I love this episode and a bit about our guest. Kelsey Abbott is an ultra-human who competes in triathlons at the USA national level and on the world stage. Since I've known her, I've experienced someone totally alive in their physical being and athletic potential. Kelsey races and trains like mad, but she makes it seem so effortless. She's full of fun and self-described as sparkly. If that doesn't scream fun, really what does? Kelsey and I studied at the same coaching school, and now she's a confidence coach residing in Florida. Her sports background and continued competitions have seen her grow and be able to use coaching perspectives and mindsets in unique ways. She does sprint, Olympic, and half Ironman distances, and as she would say it, she throws in the occasional half marathon or open water swim. She, for her 30th birthday, ran up and down an entire mountain. In this episode of Ultra Human, Kelsey and I discuss how her mindfulness practice, acceptance of, and her new relationship to pain have changed how she shows up and experiences being an athlete. You can connect with Kelsey on Instagram at KelseyAbbottCPC. And if you yourself are an Ultra Human or know someone, please email me, Brooke at InfiniteCourageCoaching.com. I'd love to chat about how you could be a guest on the Ultra Human podcast. Let's dive in. Kelsey Abbott, hello. Hello, Brooke. <laughs> it's super exciting to be talking with you today. I, I'm catching you just after doing your, were you swimming today? Was your workout no, today and strength training? My bike biking did strength training. Amazing. And so you're just totally running on endorphins right now. Perfect time to be talking. I also am dirty. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelsey, you're the first person on the podcast who I'm interviewing about triathlons, who's a triathlete. I don't know a lot about the world of triathlons, but I'm super curious about the fact that you have been to the world championships in triathlons five times. Yeah, five races, four different so world So what is that? Tell me about world championships and how you like got there. I know it, every country does it a little differently, but in the U.S., there's nationals, age group nationals every year. And to qualify for age group nationals, you have to finish in the top, I think, 10% of your age group in a USA triathlon sanctioned race. So then you qualify for nationals and then you go to nationals. And if you finish, all right, so pay attention here because this is a little complicated. I'm in. I'm zoned in. <laughs> all right. For the Olympic distance, which is a one mile swim, a 40K bike, and a 10K run. For that, if you finish in the top 18, then you qualify for Team USA to go to Worlds. If you finish in the, from like places 19 to 25, you might get a roll down slot. Then in the sprint distance, this is where it gets complicated right now. So sprint distance is 750 meter swim, 20K bike, 5K run. Mm -hmm. And then at nationals, there's a non-draft sprint. There, the top eight qualify for age group, for Worlds. And then there is a draft legal nationals. And there they take, <laughs> they take like 10 more, but they have to be within a certain percentage of the winner's time 
And then the roll down slots go to the non draft. Go well, now we go back to the other the non draft nationals and pick up some roll down spots from there. Basically, like I don't really know how it works. So it's very competitive. Yes. And you're training year round. Mm-hmm. When you first qualified, so like take back take us back to like your first worlds. Which distance did you qualify in? What were you so racing? I did the sprint, which was non-draft at the time. And I qualified nationals had been in Burlington, Vermont. And I lived in Maine at the time. So it was an easy drive. It was my second nationals. I placed third in my age group, had an amazing race going into that race. I was dealing with nerve pain that radiated to my quad and always made me feel like I had to pee. I had no idea what would happen in that race. And in that race, like right before the race, I saw my chiropractor and he's like, I really think we got it. It may have even been the morning we drove up to Vermont and I was fine for the race, had a super fast run. And then, so that race qualified me for worlds in Auckland, New Zealand. And that was amazing. That was, it was cold. It was rainy. It was epically windy. And apparently this is a known thing. The winds on race day, they calmed down. But leading up to that, they were like 70, 80 miles an hour. Because I remember being like, wait, doesn't this actually qualify as hurricane strength winds? And the whole city was decorated with like welcome athletes all over the place. It just was this mind-blowing experience. Is it like a collective time then with like all of Team USA? So like other women that were also in this at this time, like non-draft sprint you would have traveled with them or at least met them there. And then it was a team goal. You know, it's interesting. So this year, this past summer is the first time I did draft legal sprint at, at Worlds. And it felt so much more like a team than yeah. when I did the non-draft. What, what do you love about doing these? Like this is a, it's a big time commitment. I love everything about it. I love, I am really, truly, madly, deeply head over heels in love with the process. I love I love what I learn about myself and about humans through training. I love the races. I love the connection with other humans at races. Right now, I have this nerve pain on my heel that I'm working through. And I actually am totally loving the process of figuring this out. And I love the gift that it has given me of taking a little break from running and getting so much stronger on my bike that it's like me of five years ago would be like, what? How can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. These legs just did that. Huh. Who knew? Let's talk specifically about the, the nerve issues with your heel right now. You've taken that and you've went, you've gone, okay, well, this is happening. I'm going to love it. I'm going to be with it. And other elements of your fitness have got to grow as a result of it, sounds like. How did you get yourself to that <sighs> mindset that you were able to just embrace and love you know, an injury, which a lot of athletes would be like mortified about. Well, let's back up to the start of this. This started at the end of July and came pretty much out of the blue. All of a sudden I was on an easy hour long run. And I remember like minute 54, I tried to do a pickup and I got like a shot of pain in my heel and I was like, okay, so I'll go fast. And I backed off. Then two minutes later, still going easy. I got another stab of pain and I was like, okay, I'm going to stop. And then it just hurt so badly, like a 12 out of 10. I've had plantar fasciitis before. So I was like, maybe this is it. I've been rolling my foot, but I rolled it again and 
wasn't really feeling anything that would indicate that that's what it was. So I worked on it with all the things. A great acupuncturist who did tons of dry needling on it. I went to my physical therapist right away. We did all the things. This is all leading right into nationals. So I get to nationals. I have no idea if I can run. And at this point, I don't really know what it is. So I did nationals is day one is the Olympic distance. Day two is the sprint distance. So on day one, I, the swim was fine. Running out of the water, my heel hurt so badly. So I was like, okay, I know there's a possibility I won't be running. Bike was good. Got off the bike in the first like less than 500 meters because I only ran 0.88 of a mile. So right away, it was hurting. And I remember being like, well, let's see if you can make it a mile. And at 0.88, I stopped because I was like, I don't know what's happening. Am I ripping something? So I walked the 10K. And that was a really, really long walk. And, and I walked wicked fast. But I, I had thought that when I, when I knew walking was going to be a possibility... I thought I expected to be a lot different. I thought, well, it's okay. I'll walk and I'll cheer on all the other athletes. But I was the last wave of the day and there'd been a 20 minute hold before we started. So we were really the last people out there. Yeah. And some people are passing me and they're like, I'm trying to cheer for them because they're like the back of the pack and they're trying to cheer me up and be like, you can do it. And I'm like, oh no, I I can't. I'm choosing not to. Yeah. Thanks. You go. It was also this like intense emotional slash spiritual experience. Like I would get these surges of, of like crying, but it wasn't like, it was the kind of like tears didn't flow, but it was the kind of crying where like I was just breathless. Like all of a sudden I would not be able to breathe. And it just felt like, oh, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than the heel. So anyway, I got through that and crossed that finish line. See, before you tell this, so did you think, well, I'll, I just won't even do it because, you know, okay, so your heel was hurting when you got out of the swim, you knew it was going to be a problem, but you chose to walk and like go so slow compared to how you would have been able to run it, but it didn't cut, cross your mind to just say, no, I'm, I'm going to pull out. It didn't, but it did. So the next day I called it at the aqua bike. In other words, I stopped after the bike. Basically I had to get myself into my head. You know, I was doing pretty well at that point in the race. I just wanted to go. Like, I want to go. I love this sport so much. And I had to, oh, I didn't put my sneakers in transition because I knew like, mm. okay, I need, to, I need to not run today. I think it was the right decision in many ways, but it was really, really challenging. But in the Olympic distance, no, it never occurred to me. <laughs> not at all. I had started that race and I was going to finish it. Even if it meant walking. Yeah. And, and walking didn't hurt it. Like I no longer felt like I was going to break something or tear something. I think if it had been like a stress fracture or something like that, and I was like, oh my God, I, I got to get off my foot. That may have been different, but no, I was in it to cross that line. So you felt like as you're walking, okay, this isn't just about me. This is some, this isn't about my heel. This is something bigger. Now, you know, that was July. Now it's, it's October. What have you processed? What do you see it as? What was important about it? Well, after nationals, I learned that it was a, it was nerve pain. So then we went into worlds two weeks later in Switzerland. And my physical therapist was like, 
this is nerve pain. I'm like, will I do any damage if I run on it? And he was like, no. I'm like, will it set my recovery back? No. If you can handle the pain, which I mentioned was like a 12 out of 10, he was like, go for it. And I was like, what? huh. All right, let's see. I opened myself up to the possibility of maybe going to Switzerland on vacation with my bike. Like maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't race that one. But as race day got closer, I started just upping my mindfulness practice and started focusing on pain management in my meditation and breathing through pain and focusing on other parts of my body. And and really made it like this epic mindfulness experiment for myself. And so I, at Worlds, it was only, I mean, the run was only a 5K. If it had been a 10K, I may have made different choices, but I can't put myself in that situation. I ran and it hurt, holy hell, so much. But I breathed through it and I ran through it and I'm so grateful and I value that finish line. Like that's like one of my proudest races ever. Now let's speed up the whole, like what was beneath the heel. I was in a car accident in 2004. I was rear-ended on the highway. And after the accident, like (laughs) my primary care doctor was like, oh, we got to do x-rays. See if your hip and your knee are okay. And I was like, I don't have any broken bones. I'm currently walking around. And x-rays confirmed there was nothing broken. I still did some physical therapy for for my back, but didn't really... Like it felt unfinished, but whatever. I graduated from physical therapy. So that's what, 15 years ago? Ever since then, I've gotten a whole bunch of injuries enough that in some circles I've been labeled as a fragile athlete. Like you have to be careful. Kelsey can't run that many times because she'll get injured. And I've, got, I've been frustrated with my body and been like, come on, why can't you be normal? Why can't you, like other people crash or something and they recover? And their body functions normally. And then this year, like a month ago, I realized my body saved my life. And it took me 15 years to recognize that my body saved my life. My body is incredible. My body is amazing. My body, I am so immensely grateful for my body. And it's time to heal all this, all the places where it compensated for things being off as a result of the accident, all the places where it's still holding on to pain, it's time to now do that deep, deep healing. What's the relationship for you then like between your mind and your body now? (laughs) You know, uh, in my meditation this morning, I always, I send loving kindness, which is a meta meditation, which is typically like may be well. And I send that out to my body every every meditation session. And this morning, I also added, may I remember that my body is beautiful. And there's just a softening. I've never hated my body. I've never, I've never been angry with my body, but I have been frustrated. Like, come on, why didn't you work the way I wanted you to work? And I've also been so grateful. But my level of gratitude and love and respect and honor and awe mostly awe for my body has completely elevated. Like I didn't know it was possible to think that my body is this freaking cool. Wow. You took 15 years or it took you 15 years to have this realization, like my body protected me, my body saved me. And now that this light bulb has gone off, 
what's changed in the way that you train and how you plan the race? I don't know if anything has changed other than I've been... So when I first started triathlon, the bike, the order for anyone who's not familiar with triathlon is swim, bike, run. And you can always remember that based on safety because you can drown in the swim. So we put it first. You can crash on the bike. So we put that in the middle. But on the run, you can always walk as I did at nationals. So for me, the bike was always in between of the good, the good parts. And it was just the way to get from the swim to the run. So I, I signed up for my first aqua bike like an imp- from an empowered place. I'm so excited to do aqua bike nationals next year or next week. And in the past, when I've signed up for an aqua bike, which is just swim bike, I've done it as a, well, I can't run. So it's fine. I'll just do the aqua bike. But now I'm so excited. My bike is like my home right now. I just feel so good on my bike. I love it so much. I'm going so fast. I have like none of this. I used to be like, oh yeah, I'm not a cyclist. Now I'm like, oh, I'll see if I can hang with you. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a whole nother level. The bike thing's interesting to me because as someone who doesn't like seriously do any of those sports, you know, like swim, bike, or run, when I hear bike, it's like, oh, it's, there's another variable. Like I'm working with this thing, like swimming. It's like, yeah, you're on the water, but it's you running. It's you, it's your body. You have running shoes on, but the bike is like, it's me and the bike. And then the road, there's a separation between like me and the thing that I'm running on or doing something on. It's interesting. because I'm thinking like you have this relationship with your body where you love and appreciate it. And like, you see it in this like grateful way. And it's like, now you can do that with the bike too. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that because that's exactly how I used to think of it. And that's the major shift. I'd say it's actually over the last year, everything got a little more intense in the last couple of months. And now the bike is just, it's part of my body. That sounds really weird, but that's what it feels like now. Yeah. It's like I get to do this section of the race on my wheels. Mm, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now it's just me and my wheels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So the shift in, I, I appreciate my body. I love and I love it. and I'm grateful for it. And I'm not frustrated with it because of what it can do. I'm celebrating what it can do. What's different about like day-to-day life? We got the racing thing, but what else is true now? All right. So a couple things right now. One thing is I've noticed, this isn't the first time I've noticed this, but with choosing practitioners to work with, Some people, because this is nerve pain, this is not fitting in this nice, neat little box. Uh, Most people are like, oh, it's plantar fasciitis. No, no, it's not. Oh, wait, the pain is, so the pain is most likely coming from my soleus, which is my calf muscle. And it's like fascia. We were talking, you were talking a little bit about fascia before we started recording. Fascia that it kind of hardens and it can like harden next to a nerve. So it's like stuck there. I can actually feel where the muscle is grabbing onto the nerve. And I just want to be just like, let go, please. Mm. So some practitioners get very frustrated and, and that energy doesn't feel good for me. So I, I choose curious practitioners. And I really think that that makes a difference for my healing. And that's the energy that I, I like to be in when I'm my best self, I'm curious and I like to surround myself with. And the other thing is, yeah, it hurts. That is true. 
and other things can be true at the same time. Like, yes, it hurts and I'm filled with joy. Yes, it hurts and I'm super grateful. Yes, it hurts. And I know it might not hurt in five seconds. Like there's just so much of holding more than one thing at, at a time. Yeah, this power of the and. Uh-huh. You know, you're you're embracing the and. Like, how easy is it for you to find practitioners who get that? And and how can you tell? So I'm working with this guy right now. He was recommended to me by there's someone I worked with who I feel like she came into my life to facilitate an epiphany for me. And she helped me. She said something that helped me really feel that gratitude and the fact that my body had protected me. And then to introduce me to this guy who she calls Dr. Magic Hands. (laughs) He is super curious. I think he's super intuitive, but I'm not sure yet if he'd be comfortable with that word. It's all about fascial tension and releasing the fascia. That's the only place I've worked with so many physical therapists over the last 15 years, more than that, but just since the car accident. So many chiropractors, you know, acupuncturists have come at this from like every angle except the fascia. And it makes so much sense to me that like, oh, we just need to remind the fascia, the fascia that's, it's still like grasping, it's still clinging because it hasn't been told that it it can release after the car accident, after it just was like, oh my God, I got you. And it just needs to be told now, like, it's okay. We're okay. We're safe. Thank you so much for protecting me. So, so epically cool, Kelsey, because in coaching, we do that a lot with like internal emotion and, and old stories. And, you know, we thank them and, and then we acknowledge and, and we allow them to, to move and shift. And physiologically, it makes sense that there's parts of our body that need to hear from us too. Yeah, that's what this feels like to me. It feels like, like we went to the same coaching school. We both know the same inner critic transformation experience. And that's what this feels like to me. Like it's, it's an inner critic in a way, like it's just trying to protect me and it just needs to be loved and reminded that it's safe and given a new job. And the thing that you mentioned that I'm still like super curious about, and I love to hear like how this thing felt in the past and how it feels now, when you've been called a fragile athlete, what did that feel like before and how did it influence you? And then how do you feel about that term now? So before the word fragile, I feel like I need to take this back and and confess something. Years ago, like right after I got certified in coaching, I remember somebody asked on Facebook, what does the word feminine mean to you? And at the time, the word feminine to me made me think of the feminine products aisle. (laughs) That was the first thing that came up. And the second thing was like weak, and like frilly pink lace. Like I was not into it. The word feminine now means to me like flow and abundance and receiving and openness and ease. The word fragile essentially used to mean the same thing that feminine meant to me. It meant you're breakable. It means you're weak. It means you can't handle it. Now that word, I would say you can't use that for a human being. Every human, humans don't break. Every human is whole. It just doesn't, it, it's like 
telling somebody that they're purple. Like humans mm-hmm. don't come in that color. So just like a human can't be fragile. That's powerful. A human can't be fragile. If someone says that, says Kelsey's a fragile athlete, it's like, oh, that doesn't, that's nonsense. You're speaking like gibberish. Yeah, exactly. I don't understand mm-hmm. that. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. I'm not purple. Wow. I'm not purple and I'm not fragile. And so if humans, humans can't be fragile, like what are we? We're whole. We are a bundle of cells that's constantly flowing and constantly trying to make us our best selves, to allow us to live on that balance beam of ease and strength, which I would call flow. That place where, like, no, it's not easy, but like there's the perfect amount of challenge to it, the perfect amount of uncertainty to it, and the perfect amount of desire to accept the challenge that the brain doesn't get in the way and the body can just do and flow. That It's that your brain is not part of the equation. You don't really know what's going on. Mm. It's kind of like you're not there except to that you're so there. How is sport a part of that for you? How is all the training? Like I know you, you talk about loving the process and then of course you, you also compete, but like, what is it about the sports you do that lets you get to that place? So sport for me is, so I'm juggling, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a coach, I'm an athlete, and I train every day. And it is a big part of who I am and what I do. And early on, like right when I started my business, I had this limiting belief that, like, oh, so now I have to work from nine to five. That lasted luckily only like a couple of weeks because it really didn't work for me. Like, no, part of my work is training and not because training is my job, but because my job is being my best self. And one of the things that makes me my best self is training, which gets me in my body. It gets me out of my head. It gets me curious. It gets me open, easy bike rides. Those are the times when I get these, like what you could call divine downloads. Like the universe talks to me then. That's when most of most of the things I write come through me at that time. And then it's been a practice to not pull over and write it in my phone right away, but keep going with the workout and see what flows out and trust what flows out when I get home and have, have the time to actually write it down. It's amazing to me, like the relationship between not being frustrated with my body and therefore not being frustrated with the universe. And then as you call it, you know, the universe speaking through you or speaking to you. As you've replaced frustration with curiosity, what's changed? Curiosity is who I am. I drove my parents batty as a little kid, constantly asking questions. I think maybe more than your normal kid. And then I went on to become a marine biologist, which is essentially a professional curious person. And then it went into coaching, which I also consider like just a place I get to use my curiosity. Curiosity is my, that's when I'm in my zone of genius, when I'm curious. And so frustration, we get frustrated when what we want to happen and what is actually happening, there's a disconnect between those two. But when we know what we want to happen, we're not being curious. Like when we're that super attached to what we want to happen, then we're not being curious. 
So for instance, when I was super attached to, I want my body to work in this particular way and it's not, then I'm going to be frustrated. Now I'm like, huh, that is so cool that my body does that. I wonder why. I wonder what I'm supposed to learn from this. I just wonder, like, what are you trying to tell me? What's going to happen next? And it's such a journey of learning. I think it was last week I learned, this is from the fascia doctor. I learned that we have six vestigial muscles in our ears. So this was, it was how, it's not how we wiggle our ears because those muscles are on our skull, but it's how we would like totally rotate our ears like a dog okay. does. So we've got these six vestigial muscles. They don't do anything for us, but they can get tight. And when they get tight, it typically leads to neck pain and chest tightness. But for me, it led to tightness in my calf. So a week ago, I had a 30-minute ear massage, which was an interesting experience. No, it didn't feel amazing. It didn't feel good or bad. Like It just was a, huh, it's kind of funny. Yeah, so this is weird. Like, yeah. Yeah, just, and I'm talking to the massage therapist. Like, so w- when people ask you what you do for a living, what do you say? Do you say like I rub people's ears? <laughs> and then he just described to me again the six vestigial muscles. Yeah, I'm just learning so much. The part where the fascia was restricted was not on my actual body. Like, it was like a foot out from my body. I'm like, what? I don't know. I still don't understand that completely logically, but I do know that since that appointment, when he worked on that point that was like a foot off my body, things have changed. And, and what is happening is things are unwinding. So it's like a kind of like a trip down memory lane of these past pain points. Like this morning, my right shoulder is hurting and it's a, like, I'm like, oh, hey, we haven't done that for a couple of years. Oh, hey, good to see you they seem to go through pretty quickly. Like I have an appointment later today, but I also expect that on its own, it would probably be gone by tomorrow. Whereas before this might stick around for like a month. Those two weeks leading up to Switzerland, the time you spent amping up your mindfulness practice, like Mm -hmm. how would you describe that to someone? Like if someone was a little bit curious about this right now, what kind of mindfulness stuff would you suggest to them? Or like, what's your experience with that? Mindfulness is a journey. Start where you are. So if you... If you don't have a mindfulness practice, let me first tell you that I officially have ADHD. So if you're going to say that you can't meditate because you have ADHD, I call BS on that. In fact, I think we're maybe we're better at it. I use guided meditations sometimes. And for this pain mindfulness experiment, I found a pain management meditation pack. So I used that. I would pick something up from my morning meditation and then use it throughout the day and just play with it and then see what, what sticks. If you're new to a mindfulness practice, a meditation practice, screw the rules. Like People are going to tell you a few things. They'll tell you that you have to meditate for 20 minutes twice a day. No, no, no. One minute is amazing. They're going to tell you that meditation is not thinking. No, it's not. Our brains are wired to think. So you're going to keep thinking. And meditation is the practice of seeing the thought coming in and then letting it go. So it's as though, think of the thought as a car driving by. And what would a crazy person do? They'd run after the car and then they'd like grab the door handle and try and get in. Don't be a crazy person. Just let the car go. Watch it go. And trust that another car will come by later when you're done with your meditation practice. 
and that you can get in that one and it will be parked safely. And that's the time to get in the car. Meditation is getting down and getting back up again. It's a practice. Like how many times are you going to catch yourself thinking about something and then coming back to the present? That is what the practice is. The other myth you're going to hear is that proper meditation requires you to sit with your back straight and legs and like cross-legged or in lotus pose. Uh Uh-uh. Find what works for you. I really like to meditate with my legs up the wall. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would say like, oh my God, you're going to fall asleep like that. Um, I don't. And I meditate first thing in the morning. So find what works for you. And it, it took me like a year of trying and failing with this practice, getting, getting up and then falling down again to figure out what really works for me. And it's been like three years now that I haven't missed a morning. And it's just what I do. I meditate every single morning. You could use a guide to meditation. I, I sometimes I just set a timer on my phone and I add in some loving kindness and a little bit of magic. I have no idea what to call the last part. It just comes to me. Yeah, there's no real rules to meditation. That's what I would say. So there's a lot of ways in. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of ways to do it without feeling like it's like this huge commitment and it's scary or hard. But other things coming up for me is pain. You've done some stuff related to pain and like pain management. What have you learned from pain? Like what's it here to teach you? So there's there's a few types of pain, right? As an endurance athlete, we all know that discomfort that's like, for the love of God, will you please stop? Like just sit down. And we welcome that. For me, that's strength, not pain. And that's like, yes, keep going. Then there's the pain that says, stop right now. I didn't always used to listen to that one. And I listen to that right now. And then there's the pain that's like, something's not quite right. And, and typically that works itself out. Pain, it's like someone knocking on the door. And sometimes it's just a nice, easy, casual knock. And sometimes it's a frantic knock, 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 knock. And it's just listening, like everyone's body speaks differently. Knowing your own body and knowing that pain is just somebody knocking and then checking in with your gut and being like, what does this mean? I love it because there's different things that pain might be saying and being willing to hear either of them. So like sometimes it's like, okay, I've got to walk. And sometimes it's like, I've got to pull out and I'm not even going to go on my heel, right? For you. When something comes up and maybe it's like surprising, like, oh, that's not what we were thinking. It was here to tell us or like, I don't want to do that or I don't want to listen to what it says. Like, what would you say to someone when what they, what the pain says is surprising? One is to be really honest with yourself and recognize like, first of all, was there self-sabotage involved? And I'm not talking like, like humans, we self-sabotage all the time. It's totally normal. It's all okay. Please don't beat yourself up over it. But was there a part of you that thought, oh my God, things are going so well. What if this happens? Okay, there's that. Then none of us want to hear what pain has to say. Like that's really inconvenient, right? It's messing with what we want to do. We want to keep going unless it's self-sabotage and there's something, a deep underlining that you're kind of like, oh, I'm tired and I just want to take a break. Then this, this could be your body's way of being like, here, I made something for you. I gave you a break. I invite you to see pain as an invitation. 
And, and I feel like if you're in pain right now, you're going to be like, screw you, Kelsey. <laughs> Give your, keep playing with that every day. Check in and be like, what is this inviting me to? And someday you might see that invitation. I did not see it coming that it was going to be an invitation for me to heal more completely, hopefully totally completely from the car accident. I had seen it as an invitation to, sweet, let's focus on the bike and let's get really strong on the bike. And then I'll get to rebuild into running. I live in Florida. I'll get to rebuild and running in the winter when it's cooler. So that's pretty amazing. So I had, I had found those gifts. So try and find the gifts and try and find the invitation. And everything's easier when we accept it. Try to accept it instead of fighting it. Yeah, that's beautiful. So there are, there are many invitations that our body gives us. And, and, you know, we're just talking about one side of it, which people might feel like the negative side, you know, the pain part. But there's also invitations like to be one with the bike, like you've experienced. And there's invitations that are maybe a little bit more alluring. But being accepting of both what we would call, call like good and bad and not labeling them, I think yeah. is what's coming up for me. When I feel really awesome, that can be, that's just as informative as pain and vice versa. When the pain comes up, that can be just as exciting and informative as, oh, I'm ready to push myself. Yeah. And sometimes pain only sticks around for a couple of days, even when it's a, a pain that says stop. So also be open to that possibility. Try and release any idea that, oh my God, I'm out for the season. Wait, what? Mm. Like, you don't have to now sit on your butt all the time. Catastrophizing. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And be real about what it means. And I know that there are always people, there's always my mom who'll be like, should you be training still? Yes. Yes, I should. I have people, I've got experts on my side. I know what I'm doing. I'm not doing any damage to my body. So Kelsey, I have to ask you something that I, I like to ask everybody. For you, what does it mean to live with courage? It means to show up. There's this Georgia O'Keeffe quote that I don't know by heart, but basically it was, I've been scared every single day of my life. I think as we get to know ourselves, we see that we are too scared every single day of our lives. And that has nothing to do with whether or not we show up. Courage is showing up. Just get there and allow yourself to be seen. I love that. And also like the courage to accept that, th that we are fearful. That's a really cool quote. I am fearful. And then what? And that's, then we're back at that and, exactly. you know, like you spoke about earlier, I'm fearful and, and I choose and, to show up. And courage also like, you know, the root core comes from heart. Ancient Aztecs used to have a phrase, all in, spelled O-L-L-I-N. And it basically meant to wear your heart on your face. As athletes, that's what we're doing. We are going out there. We're wanting, we're desiring, we're striving. We're going for it. Like this is why sport breaks your heart because you're out there. Everyone can see your heart on your face, your big, beautiful heart on your face. You're racing with your heart or you're playing with your heart. And then who knows what's going to happen. That part isn't within our control. And we get to be curious. And that to me is also courage. Wow. That uh, wearing my, my heart on my face and being willing to want something and go for something. I think that's interesting because I would say that is something that, that maybe athletes touch more than others. 
it's easier, maybe it's easier for us and for athletes to access that point of desire because it's something that we have to do in order to be competitive. Because I don't know about your experience, but I feel like a lot of people are like living and maybe aren't tapped into what they actually want and desire. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are like, how do you know what you want? Mm-hmm. You know what I do is I follow the joy. That's what I want. I want to follow the joy every single day. What brings me joy? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that brings me joy is triathlon. So, so I, I do it. it. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it's really yeah. quite simple. The Ultra Human Podcast is produced in the backyard of the Rocky Mountains in Alberta, Canada by Joseph Tubb on behalf of Infinite Courage Coaching.